0: city it's your man big pat the voice of your charlotte hornets and you're listening to the all hornets podcast network presented by sports illustrated
1: A quick editing note from me, just wanted to point out that you will notice my audio quality dips right at the start of the podcast and that is because for some reason my computer didn't use my proper microphone and ended up using my webcam mic for part first part of the podcast. So you will notice a change in quality, it won't be quite as clean at the start but it is all still really clear, you'll be able to hear and understand everything that me and Chase discuss and it does get better as the podcast goes on. So Thanks for bearing with me. Sorry for the slight technical malfunction, and enjoy the show. Welcome in to an end-of-season edition of Inside the Hive. Joining me to finish out the year strong is Chase Whitney. Chase, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing very well. We're finally getting our first spell of warm weather up here. The playoffs are rolling around. Feels like springtime. It's a, I'm in a good mood here. I'm excited to get into the, this two-part podcast that we've got for everybody today to kind of wrap yeah. everything up with this Hornets regular season.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's we got so much since we last podcasted, uh, Nick Richards got extended, the Hornets finished the season. We've had exit interviews today. We want to do our annual end of season podcast with our award categories, um, you know, with a twist for people who haven't listened before. They're not your normal, you know, sick man of the year, all that stuff. Um, so we're going to split this into parts one and two. Part one is probably going to be just some of our thoughts on the end of the season. And, our impressions from some of the the key quotes that have come out of the exit interviews. Part two is going to be looking at end-of-season awards. So we're going to be looking at everything from award categories to best dunks, assist of the year, win of the year, loss of the year, Dion Waiters Award, Apex Mountain, worst moment of the season, and MVP for the team of the year. There was also normally a best moment of the season. But honestly, Chase, just, it was really hard to come up with best moments. So we just gone for MVP instead, instead of a best moment of the season for this year. Um, so if you want that, go straight to part two of the podcast. It should be live in your feed now. If you want to hear us first talk about the end of the season um, and exit interviews, you're in the right place. Keep listening. But firstly, before we get into that, before the podcast, uh, I sent Chase a a link to a horse race, which is probably thinking, what, what's, what's this got to do basketball? And this weekend in the UK, is something called the Grand National, which is like the, what I call, I think the British version of the Kentucky Derby, like the one big horse race that everyone in the UK, like follows a year. I didn't know horse racing, but, but everyone follows it. Everyone, you know, puts a bet on here and there. And, um, I didn't know who to bet on this year. And I thought, well, why not, why not try and link my bet to Victor Wimbanyama? And I was thinking well rather than me do it i challenge you to look through the list of running horses and come up with a horse that you think has the strongest link to victor Wimbenyama from the name of the horse basically so that was my challenge to you i'm gonna put money on whichever horse that you've picked out for me here or which one we picked together um this weekend and the grand national is known for like basically anyone winning so like ignore the odds 8 to 1 50 to 1 anyone wins the grand national so chase give me some names here who who have you got the strongest link to victor wenyama from the from the list that say that you have runners in the grand national all
0: right well i'm glad you said that last part first of all because i didn't even think to look at the odds i i don't know <laughs> anything about horse racing either but when i if i were to place a, a little friendly wager on a horse race i would strictly go off the names i, I would never look at the odds. I feel like I mean I uh, again I don't know anything about horse racing, but I feel like the favorite isn't like winning often enough to where you can ignore the the cool name factor. And hopefully that's what we're going to get here with one of these horses that when they win will then turn into a symbol for the Hornets uh, eventually getting Victor Weminyama here in a month and a half. But the first one that I liked is called Any Second Now. And mm. the reason I like that one, the Hornets have never gotten the number 1 pick in the draft. I mean, any second now, they're going to get the number one pick in the draft. One of these lotteries, eventually it's going to happen. That's just that's what math says, is that you're never going to be – you never have a 0% chance, even though it may have yeah. certainly seemed that way, that the Hornets have a 0% chance to ever pick number one overall after the Anthony Davis thing. But I think that was a good start. The big dog – Can I, can I also one.
1: ask for any second now – Of course, of course. You could also link into the second pick in the draft. It wasn't the task right now, but you could – any second now. Not, yeah, any topic. any
0: second comma now. There we go.
1: It's got some dual meaning. So I, I like it. It's in the running. But what's next?
0: All right. The second one was the big dog. Very self-explanatory. <laughs> Victor Wemmett. Qu- quite literally is the big dog of this draft. Uh, it doesn't really get any more simplistic than that. But I think it could be a very fitting name uh, if we end up getting him. Because he, he'll be the big dog in, in Charlotte.
1: Absolutely, he'd have the biggest wingspan in NBA history. He is seven foot two, three, I want to say.
0: I think he might be like seven foot four by now, honestly. <laughs> Still like,
1: growing. Uh, he is absolutely a big dog. Okay, like it. Next up,
0: Mister Incredible was my next one. Again, this is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, judging by you know what people think of him and the trajectory that he seems to be on as a basketball player, he might be. Mr. Incredible of the NBA. We've never seen a player of his size play the way that he does and be as good as he is at this young of an age. So very fitting name for Mr. Wembenyama, uh, Mr. Incredible.
1: Mm, I think that's my leader right now, Mr. Incredible, because, I mean, you watch him play, and that incredible is the word, right? You know, and yep. you think about the possibilities. <laughs> I think I think that's my favorite so far. Let's, let's see what you've got up your sleeve for the last one.
0: All right, Fourth and final one is recite a prayer because uh, which I'm sure <laughs> af- applies very very well to horse racing because I bet anybody that owns a horse or trains a horse is reciting some sort of prayer to whatever religion they adhere to uh, in their you know owner's suite when that horse is running around the track and could potentially win them millions and millions of dollars. But the hornets, and, I mean, and any other fan base that has a lottery pick and has a chance to move up in the draft here will be reciting uh, a prayer of their choosing. On uh, May sixteenth, around eight, probably eight ten PM, when the when the lottery starts after all the pre show stuff yeah. that they're going to do, but and, and just uh, to
1: add, the the winning prize fund for the grand national is one point two million dollars. So it's that a, is that's a
0: pretty penny right there.
1: That is that is worth praying for, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um. Okay. So to recap, your picks for the grand national, based on links to Victor Wembanyama, are any second now the big dog. Mr. Incredible and recite a prayer. I'm, I'm going, I'm going, Mr. Incredible. Mm-hmm. I, what are the odds? Have you got the odds on Freddy? I've no idea. This could be the worst horse in the race. No, but we'll find out. We'll find out, and I will update you on our next podcast about how Mr. Incredible gets on. By the way, normally one to two horses die every year at the Grand National, um, and a lot of them don't finish wait, the race.
0: Wait, wait, what?
1: Yeah, yeah, because they have to jump they... over fences. It's like the biggest oh, fences. Oh,
0: in. so this is like uh, like uh, uh, equestrian, not like horse racing.
1: Uh, Yes. Uh, in the okay. UK, okay. we still call this horse racing, but we have – it has big – if you look at the size of the jumps, they're like seven-foot jumps made of pine. Oh, uh, my
0: God. This so, is like uh, a – yeah, it's this is a, like a war that goes on. This is not family, fr- not a family-friendly event at all.
1: Normally, about fifty percent of like the forty to fifty horses don't finish the race, and normally one to two a year die because basically, if they die on the course, this is a bit of a tangent here, but if your race horse dies on the course, you can claim insurance. Whereas if you take them off the course oh, and then this they can't is race the- again, they you can't claim anything. They're just ma- they're just injured and they can't race for you. So a lot uh, of the owners,
0: if they break the leg, they say, kill him her here. Oh her that her. oh, there's I that there's some nastiness to this. Yep. Oh no. Oh, these poor horses. Yeah, I mean, but I mean I guess I guess that's standard practice in the US as well. I know that like if a US horse like yeah. breaks its leg, even if it's not a racehorse, like the preventative measures to be taken are or to or the measures that you can take to heal that broken leg are, you know, pretty significant hurdles to clear. Uh a horse as but god i didn't know that at all nobody dies at the kentucky derby i'll tell you that this is like the the heavy metal kentucky derby that they're doing over here in the in the uk
1: okay well thank you for helping me pick a horse for grand national um let's let's move on to some of our end of season uh observations here um and and i'm gonna kick off with one i for a long time have been of the kind of the thought pattern here that Kai Jones was my kind of highest guy from the 2021 draft. Um, then it was probably like, then like JT Thor and James night were really close for me. And probably like even going to this year, i probably have JT Thor ahead. Um, and I've also been a defender of the Kai trade. You know, I've, I've said time and time again, he was always going to be a project, you know, expecting him to be ready in year two was, was fine. We've had extended time to see both Kai, Thor, Buck Knight over the last two to three weeks, really, more so than at any point in their NBA careers. And I have shifted my opinion. Um, and I don't want this to be knee-jerk from end of the year. But, like, for me now, JT Thor is firmly the best prospect of those three. Um, and I'm beginning, like, now is the first time that I think, like, if you said to the team, would you take back the Kai Jones trade? think they probably would because it's not because he's not ready. For me, it's because he's not making progress. And like, he, I, I know there has been some progress, but you look at all the things that he struggled with early in the season, there were, there were still issues. The shot looks broken. I, 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 you know, this was the sell. He was the versatile switchy forward slash center who could, you know, attack closeouts. He could shoot. He looks you know, like a walking turnover when he puts the ball on the floor. I think he turns the ball over on over 30% of his offensive possessions, Chase. That is ridiculous. That's a third of the time he puts the ball on the floor to try and make an offensive move. He turns the ball over. The shot is just completely not there. And although there are moments of like flashing switchy defense, they've got him like playing in a drop at times, not switching as much the things that made Kai an exciting prospect was that, you know, close out ability that the shooting, that's just, I just don't know if that's ever going to be there. Like or it's certainly not been to this point. And it seems to have gone backwards from college, not forwards, which that's probably, in a, in a you know, how it looks because it's in the NBA compared to college people. I'm sure that's not, is the, that the case is, but yeah, I, my, my overall feeling is JT Thor has jumped to the front of that queue and, like, I probably still have Kai above Buck just because there's not many seven-footers who can run and jump like that. And I still think he has potential long-term. Uh, but I am beginning to, for the first time, question my own confidence in the Kai Jones selection because for so long we didn't see it. And it's what Steve Clifford says all the time. You know, you want to see the guys, who you the young players, and then you see them and you go, oh. and I have to say, it did not fill me with confidence. So that, that's the first end-of-season observation. I, I want to throw it over to you and get your thoughts here. Am, am I overreacting to this?
0: I definitely don't think you're overreacting. I don't... Hmm. I don't know if I'm fully there myself, but, and I hadn't really thought about it in these terms yet either, just like ranking the three of them uh, like in comparison to each other, but... It's definitely a lot closer than it was, especially at the time that they were drafted, but it's a lot closer than it's really ever been. uh, If you're between Kai and JT, I think Kai's upside is just, it's really like you said that you'd probably still have him above book just because of the upside that he offers. It's still so hard to ignore. We knew he wasn't going to be ready right away. Maybe we thought he'd be showing some stuff in year two. Obviously. I mean, he has shown some stuff in year two, but obviously that hasn't happened to the degree that, Really, anybody was hoping for fans, the organization, himself included. I mean, he he, the assists and the turnover ratio is really, really poor so far. The feel for the game, which was by far the biggest negative at Texas, hasn't really improved yet. That's really at all.
1: No, it it really it really hasn't.
0: Yeah, and and that's going to be a tough thing. Like that's that was the one hurdle for him to. He started playing basketball later than. Basically, anybody else does that's made it to the, the this point in their career. He's relied on those athletic gifts pretty much solely to get him to where he is now. But it, it just doesn't cut it in the NBA. Like so many players can run and jump and are strong and are tall. Uh, and they also have like exceptional feel for the game or they can shoot really well or they have like instinctual defensive abilities, which Kai does have a little bit of all of those things. But he just hasn't shown enough of it really yet to maintain like a a firm position that like, yes, this player is worth trading away a future first round pick for. And I actually think you raised like an interesting point. I don't know if they'd regret it yet from him and like looking at him as an individual, as a player, but definitely might regret it not having that pick available to make a trade right now. That certainly is something that like maybe him as a player wouldn't sway that like one way or another. But if you were like, oh, that pick, you know, becomes a second rounder or is unprotected now or something like that. Like that is definitely a big swing selling point with that uh, question that you raised.
1: And I I do give Kai credit, right? He's bought into like what Steve Clifford had asked for him. He's not like, he's playing the Steve Clifford style, trying to focus on strength, trying to focus on screening. So he's definitely trying to do the right things, but what made Kai the exciting prospect was that he did, some of the, the stuff that guys that size with athleticism can't normally do in college. And if you take that, you know, the really interesting stuff away, I just think his ceiling is a lot lower. And like I said, I'm not giving up, but I'm definitely moving JT Thor to the front of the pile who, you know, he's looked fantastic. I mean, you heard Steve Cuffin, we'll get onto it later, like just gushing about JT Thor the other day. And for here's someone that you can see the progression. The game has slowed down. The shot mechanics are better. And that's that's the challenge. I'd say if anything, I look back at the college state of Texas, I think Kyle's kind of shot mechanics got worse. I, I think they just I think need so a, I think they need a full rework this summer. And he works hard. And if he spends time with Bridge Kritzer and spends time with Charlotte, then then it could come. And if the shooting comes along with his, you know, athleticism, then there's still something there. But my confidence, I would say, is at the lowest point, which is a shame when you get to see someone play extended minutes for kind of like the first time. You're normally more excited, and I have to say my enthusiasm has gone the other way.
0: Yeah, it it, it is unfortunate too, because like he, he works hard. He hasn't necessarily done anything wrong. It just hasn't come together yet in the way that really anybody was anticipating or hoping for. Uh, and you only get so many years as a, you know, a developmental player in the NBA. And he came out of Texas as a sophomore as well. It's not like he came yeah. into the league as like a, you know, barely eight or 19 year old or something like that. Uh, he, he's going to be, you know, 23 by the end of his rookie contract. So yeah. um, it's a, it's a tough, tough situation, unfortunately.
1: What did you make of James Bucknight? Because we are got to see in his last, you know, five games, he played over 20 minutes in every single one Um Against the Bulls, he scored 22. Against Toronto in the first game, he scored 21. Both like efficient shooting nights, three-point range. He six from eleven, five from seven. Then in the last few games against Toronto, Houston, and Cleveland, you know he, he really struggled back to the kind of like the inefficient Buck Knight, as I would kind of call it, uh, where the shot wasn't falling and there was lots of lots of fouls and quite a few turnovers. But that's the best luck we've got. Jim's Buck Knight playing extended role and. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on Buck from the end of the year?
0: The main thing that I was impressed by was he was a pretty good passer in a couple of those games there. It seems like the repetition he got in the G League as like the guy, like the, one of the best players on the team, had the ball in his hands a lot, has benefited him like confidence-wise in so many different facets. He's not going to be that, the type of player that he gets to be in the G League in the NBA, at least until he establishes himself in some way. So he has to offer things that either other players on the team aren't offering, or he hasn't, you know, shown before to be able to like add some level of like intrigue for one, and also like confidence from the coaching staff that you can execute while you're out there. He's definitely done that more in the last what was it like eight game stretch of the season here uh, than he has at any other point in his career, really. Even with the the inefficient shooting at the end, he just we mentioned this in the uh, the last podcast. He just moves a lot more confidently. On the court now, he just—it seems like he fits in a lot better. Even if he's missing, it's not like it's something that would like rattle him or necessarily. Uh, there are way fewer like, you know, uh, weird mistakes or like uh, ugly turnovers or anything like that. Um, but I, I, I've been overall fairly impressed here with this last re- stretch to end the season.
1: Yeah, I would say it was clearly you saw you got a glimpse into what James Butnitz's role could be in the NBA. He was going to be a guy that when the shot isn't going, he's probably going to hurt you because he is still really struggling on defense. Um, But you also got to see the moment, you know, in those Chicago Trotter Toronto games, he was almost unguardable, like for those moments where he had it going from deep and he was getting to his shots and playing with pace. Um, So, like, I think he is that kind of like Malik Monk microwave scorer type, you know, the sixth man the stereotypical sick man type guy. I think that's what you're looking at with him. Um, uh, yeah, I think there was definitely progress. It was definitely better than the first stint in the rotation that he got earlier in the year. And that was – and I'm kind of curious, like, is that because James Knight came along more over the year, which I think is part of it, was probably more confident? But also, he had the ball in his hands more because there were just not many other offensive options in the team. Whereas early in the year, he was playing like the next like Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre. And all of a sudden, like he wasn't getting all the shots. And like if it kind of made me think if, if he's not in a position where he's able to get quite a lot of offensive usage and high volume, then he kind of hurts your team like, like we talked about with the defense, even though like he showed the catch and shoot from three point line is, you know, probably, you know, looked like one of the best shooters on the team. Um, so but that, that didn't really seem to translate earlier in the year. But I, I do wonder if he's just much more comfortable being more involved in the offense than being like one of these role players who just, you know, catches and shoots threes and plays defense. I, I don't think you're gonna get value value out of Buck Knight that way. But then is he good enough to be a guy you give the ball to? And I think he finds himself in that grey area, which is, is something he'll have to try and combat next year.
0: The one thing that I think is a positive for that though. I don't necessarily disagree with any of it, but I think the NBA is maybe moving back towards those players being like a little bit more valuable. Like you see like Jordan Poole get Anthony Simons, uh, like Malik monk was like a leading six man of the year candidate this year. Like those guys are getting paid a lot more and are playing a lot more and contributing to like winning basketball a lot more just with how offense driven the league is. So I think there's at least that from like a philosophical perspective going for him. But yeah, the, the on court, I, it was it was good at the end of the year, but it still needs. There needs to be a lot more production there.
1: What else stood out to you end of the season? Um, anything else you want to touch on here before we get onto our uh, onto our quotes?
0: Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think it, a lot of it was just kind of, you know, one of the Steve Clifford's quotes actually talks about it a little bit, but I think a lot of it was more uh, product of the environment than stuff that we're going to see in the future necessarily.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I think Svee McAuliffe played really well, but uh, mm-hmm. the best stretch of his NBA career, that was, that was nice to see Like it was completely unexpected. He's definitely in himself an NBA contract somewhere for next year. Um, I think Charlotte will be tricky just because of the roster crunch, but it's possible. And um, yeah, I'd say that, that was the other bright stop from, from the end of the year. I mean, We thought he was going to be someone who wouldn't even ever play for Charlotte. He would be here just listed on the roster, but he was from the trade. And he ended up, like, passed the ball really well. Defense was okay. Shot the ball really well from three. Um, I I have to say, I really liked his game. Um, And I saw Richie Randall from BuzzBeat talking about, like, do you want Svi back at a discount contract? Or do you want Kelly Oubre back on more money? I mean... It's very hard to compare the two because they play quite quite different roles. And but I, I think you could now like at least sit down and have the conversation in the front office, and no one would laugh you out the room. It, it would be something that you you talk about when you look at future cat flexibility and, and other stuff like that. Um, they might they
0: might laugh. You might not have to leave the room, but they they might laugh. I don't I don't know if I if I'd go that far with that one. I Kelly is. Multiple levels above speed, even though he showed a little bit. He is, here. but
1: you remember what you're signing Kelly for. I'm not talking about them directing as players. Oh, I, I,
0: I, yeah, no, I, yeah. I completely, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I'd go that quite that far yet. Save it, get earning yourself, uh, like a career saving NBA contract. I don't, I don't know if that's quite will, we'd rather have you over a Kelly Ubray type of saving your career. Mm.
1: I'm just, ha- I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, i I, I, Hey,
0: I know, I you, know you're just, you you're just come. the messenger. I know you
1: can, you can come, right. You can come to the meeting and you can, you can tell me why, I'll, but I'll be uh, there. we're, I'll we're be having there. the meeting now. So that's all I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay, let's, let's move on to some of these quotes. So we had uh, a lot of the players, um, interestingly, not all the players, which was kind of strange. Um, I think, you know, we didn't have Taya Maladon. We didn't have James Bucknight. We didn't have Kai Jones, um, I want to say we didn't have a few other. We didn't have any of the two-aids like Xavier Sneeds Kobe Simmons um, So I'm not quite sure why we didn't Have everyone, I guess the 2 way guys I can understand But like Kai and Buck Knight are the ones I was Particularly curious about, I don't know why But um, There was a lot of players to get through um, And I want to touch on On some of the, the quotes really That came from Steve Cufford, the players and the coaches So first up, I want to talk A little bit about um, Steve Cufford's head coaching security let's call it that which he was asked about with the reports of new ownership and he basically kind of said like don't be surprised by anything that happens in this league and he talked about you know being in the league a long time and you can't be surprised at anything and but he did say he's really enjoyed being a head coach again he's desperate to be here Um, and actually to accompany that it was interesting that jake fisher friend of the program has been the podcast um reported in his article of the day that league personnel are keeping an eye on the Charlotte Hornets head coach, Steve Cufford. Um, and basically said that the organization's present leadership structure has no intention of making a change in their bench. Although as the new team owner uh, in, engages, but new ownership, there remains potential for a new ownership structure to oversee staffing changes. Uh, and Steve Cufford does only have a short term contract as well. Right. So I, you know, I think that kind of makes sense. There's nothing groundbreaking there. I and mean, it's, his sources there are from league personnel around the league and not from the Charlotte Hornets organization. It's important to make that clear. Um, but I, I think that was, look, it's, it's a good question to ask because we know what happens to new ownership. But it's, I think, pretty clear from Kupchuk's comments about saying that Steve Griffith was was great and tremendous this year. Him wanting to be here, uh, the players backing him, if there is no major change in ownership and even so it feels like his position is as as secure as it can be. Is that how you describe it?
0: Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. I mean, even from a new ownership's perspective and I get that argument, but even from a new ownership's perspective, if it's a short term contract, why not just like let it play out for a guy that clearly has buy-in from the locker room and the rest of the organization that was present before the new people had purchased the team. Um, I would, I would imagine that he gets to, you know, at least give this team a shot with a somewhat healthy roster, hopefully next season. Uh, Cause they, by all accounts, probably exceeded expectations. If you had told everyone at the beginning of the year, like this is how many games the top eight players in the rotation are all going to play. Um, I think you probably would have penciled in the Hornets for fewer wins than what they ended up with, with 27 and 55 at the end of the year. But um, I, I, I would like your thoughts on this as well. Cause his quotes kind of made me think, uh, and the, this was a very, like the, these two events happened, like basically in the same day. So that's what made me go to this conclusion. It made me think that he might be working towards like a Dwayne Casey Detroit style transition where he is the head coach, you know, of, for, of this younger team that's rebuilding, uh, is instilling like the defensive, like, you know, work hard, like championship style habits that Clifford is kind of doing with the Hornets right now and why they were the number one defense in the league for a stretch at the end of the year. Uh, And then like transitioning into a front office role, similar to what Clifford did uh, last year. Yeah, last season with uh, Brooklyn. And I believe he did it with New Orleans as well. But uh, what would you think the likelihood of that is like at the end of uh, Clifford's tenure here and him just kind of like moving into an advisor, like front office role? and maybe like helping hire the next coach that like replaces him after next season or two years from now, or whenever he decides to do that. I mean, technically he left the possibility open for it happening this summer and which I I love his responses because they're so like deadpan and straight shooter. Like it, it, it really is just, I, it's very, I appreciate it a lot.
1: I think if Michael Jordan and Mitch Kupchak were going to be here, which when Michael Jordan is questionable, Mitch Kupchak you know, future years is, is also with the potential ownership change. I think it's more likely because there's clearly a relationship there between the two. Um, I think with new ownership, it's probably just more unlikely because new owners just don't like having all the regime guys around a lot of the time, especially unless you've got major, major, you know, track record, you know, Jerry West or, you know, Danny Ainge, you know, names like that, which everyone in the league you know, just has universal applause and respect. Um, I I also think that I don't think Steve Cufford's done coaching. Like he said it, he said, I love it. This has made me realize I love coaching and I love being part of it the day in day out grind. And what he said in his end of year, like didn't sound like he was ready to stop coaching. Um, So maybe at some point, um, but I don't think that's on the horizon anytime soon. Okay, moving on to the next quote. Another one from Steve Clifford. You have to be careful about these last 20 games and of the season. They're not meaningless games for the players, but they aren't the same as when you're trying to get in. Later on, he says, I do think you have to temper everything and take your time to look at it. I wanted to point that out because I think that's really reassuring. That Steve Clifford is saying what a lot of people around the NBA are, you know, say, but sometimes I think when you're like in it, you can lose track of the bigger pictures. Like we can't look at these last twenty games, and like like you said, maybe this Viberkai look goes Viberkalex, the best defensive option on the team. Like <laughs> you, you have to be a little bit more tempered in your expectations. You know, playing well in the last twenty games of the year, especially with the Lions they're playing and who they're playing against, is not the same as playing well in the first twenty games. It's it's just not. And I felt reassured that Clifford said that because you know, they're not going to be making all their offseason decisions based on, you know, what happened in those last 20 games. So that's, that's, I just wanted to point that one out to people because it's a smaller quote that probably got missed from what a lot of people read.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree with that too. And especially from like the Hornets perspective, you put yourself in position to like win and be competitive in these games. Like Very much like on purpose, they weren't trying to tank in the way that some other teams were, like you know, like Portland or something, or Utah at the end of the season. Like they were putting themselves in position to win on purpose. So you can't necessarily be like, Oh, you know, this was a a huge surprise to us that we were competitive in these games down the stretch, like beat you know, X number of teams that were better than us in the last like month of the season. It's like Yeah, I mean, that's what you were trying to do while a lot of other teams that were similar records weren't doing that. So it kind of makes sense that they would be, you know, quote unquote, catching teams off guard here when a lot of players are being rested uh, towards the end of the season. But yeah, I'm glad that they have that perspective as well.
1: Okay. Next one. Steve Clifford, if you can't guard your guy even a little bit, you need to give 25 (laughs) points a night. (laughs)
0: That might which, that might be you know generous too. Like he might you might need to give thirty as well.
1: It is, but I mean, in like the offense explosion that we have seen in the NBA in recent years, I, I still don't think a lot of fans think that's the case. Like if you can give twenty five a night, they basically don't care what level of defense you get, and a lot of guys can give twenty five a night now a lot more than they they used to. If you look at the the stats across the league, but it was interesting. I saw people get saying this is a shot at Mello, this is a shot at Rozier. this is a shot at Gordon Hayward. I don't think it was a shot at any of those guys. Um, I don't think it was a shot at anyone on the roster. If you wanted to interpret it for anyone on the roster, for me, it's James Spocknight. <laughs> because, like, we saw even towards the end, like, he he was struggling to guard. And he's playing against, like, the backups from the Cavaliers. And it's, like, you know, getting into foul trouble. Um, so yeah for me if if you want to apply that to anyone it's James Bucknight but it wasn't said with anyone in mind he was talking generally in the NBA but I do think that's something we have to remember we have to lock away for the draft Um, you know when we talk about maybe some guys like Bryce Sensaba Grady Dick you know maybe some of these guys who've got more defensive question marks than some of the other guys in the draft Um, you know Steve Clifford is not someone who's going to be you know, he's looking for that defense, right? Especially if you're going to be a role player or not one of these high usage guys, which, you know, outside of that kind of top four pick, uh, none of those guys probably project to be like really high usage all-stars or a very small number. Um, so I, I thought it was a funny quote. I thought it just sums up really well, like Steve Clifford's approach on how he views players in the league.
0: Yeah, another Steve Clifford press conference gem. He is completely right. And I think you're completely right. Excuse me. I had to clear my throat there for a second. I think you're completely right in saying that that's not a shot at anybody on the roster. Like, it's clearly just a statement on the NBA in general. There's really not even anybody on the team that that would apply to. Like, no, there aren't that many guys that are, you know, getting the 25 that he's referring to. Uh, there's nobody on the team that averaged 25 points per game. so there's not even anybody that he would be getting the first part of what he's referring to, much less the the defense part in the end there. but very accurate uh, representation of like the contrast in how NBA basketball is viewed by like NBA team personnel and the fans and some parts of media that like engage with the the game. Very I think that tells a lot. Is that a lot of people would either disagree with that or like be like, oh, I've never really thought of it that way.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess the the next one was about LaMelo Bulls injury, but I think we can just like pair injury updates on LaMelo and Cody into one. but, but, I have to say that overall the exit interviews weren't that revealing this year. I'm just saying. No, like,
0: I, yeah. I completely agree. I was like I feel like when I was looking through the, all the quotes I was like I kind of feel like I already knew a lot of this stuff.
1: Yeah. The, the <laughs> most interesting ones probably were about like where is Lamelo and Cody Martin in injuries for Lamello? um, He will be 100% by training camp. So far everything's gone well. He's been diligent with his treatments and both like Mitch Kupchak and Steve Clifford said they think he's actually ahead of schedule. I believe Mitch Kupchak said today that um, he's going to be out of the walking boot soon, um, and the bone is almost healed. So, like the the worry when you saw it is, oh, is this a you know an navicular fracture, uh, a Lisfranc injury, which could be you know nine to twelve month and you know foot uh, uh, issues, injuries. It doesn't seem like it's any of that, which is the best possible news. It could be when you know it's a break. It seems like it's just a a run of the mill fracture. If you can have that. Um, to an area which has healed pretty quickly. So that's that's a big relief because a big theme of this from Steve Clifford and Mitch Kupchak and the players was you have to get better in the summer. And, you know, Steve Clifford pointed to James Bucknight's struggle at the start of the year saying, well, he was injured all summer. He, you know, he wasn't able to work out because of his wrist injury. So to say that and then potentially have an off-season where LaMelo couldn't do anything, that would have to fill you with some concern, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. So that's great news. Cody Martin, um, yeah, the quote was was probably not great. Uh, Steve Clifford, his his injury is still up in the air a little bit. And later, Cody Martin talked about it, saying that he's basically said that he's definitely not 100%, but he's doing a lot better and he's feeling better and he doesn't think he will need any more procedures. Um, yeah, what do you make of the Cody Martin update? The, the Melbourne the Mel- Ball one is more black and white. What do you make of Cody Martin?
0: Yeah, it's obviously not great the wording no. of it specifically, but I don't think that, that necessarily means that the long-term like prognosis or outlook is bad. If he's close to 100% now, it all goes well, you know, ramping up back to 100% and he's able to work out all summer or most of the summer and goes into training camp like fully conditioned, 100% has been working on his game in whatever way for the last couple months. I think everything will be fine. Presuming that he continues to stay healthy after that. Uh, I think, I don't think it would be, you know, he comes back next year and we notice like, Oh my God, Cody Martin is like a totally different player or something like that. Um, As long as he gets to spend the summer kind of rehabbing and getting back into game shape, I think we'll be all right. But obviously the, the actual health prognosis is unclear
1: and will remain
0: unclear until we actually hear about that. But, we, I don't want to assume that he's going to be unhealthy forever. So,
1: yeah, I'm just a glass half empty guy, probably because I've grown up covering the Hornets, right? Um, <laughs>
0: that'll, it'll, that'll do it so to it you. It wears
1: after, you, after you down, right? Um, yeah. I, I have to say, it, like, I can't lie. It's a concern that after this long off and this long after surgery, that he's still not even like fully healthy. And you could tell by the tone of his voice that he was like, he almost laughed, like, kind of almost chuckled when he said, like, I'm, I'm nowhere near hundred percent. He always kind of said it in that way, like where he was very self-aware. So I do, it wouldn't shock me. Let's put it this way. It would not shock me if at some point over the summer, we got news of a, you know, a second knee procedure for Cody Martin, because the, you know, if he rehabs it for two more months and there's no more progress and he still never gets back to hundred percent, there is nowhere else you can turn. Um, and I do wonder like, if this is something that the medical staff look at and go, you know, this is, we like, there's no technical issue on the scan here, but he has pain, which is the worst position to be in when you basically don't know what's wrong. I do wonder if this would make them more likely to, to move Cody in the summer, um, part of a package, which would be a shame, because it would be like trading him at just after resigning him. You never really get to see him trading him at a low point in terms of value. And I think he could actually really help this team. But, you know, they've got the information they need uh, to make those judgments. Um, so I'd love to share your optimism that like, oh, I'm sure we'll be back on the court next year healthy. I I hope that's the case. I'm not hundred percent expecting it. And that's not source, that's just me reading the tea leaves and the the injury prognosis or lack of prognosis we've received. Okay, next up. Um let's talk a little bit about JT Thor. Um have you seen the 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 kind of minute or so speech that Steve Clifford uh, spoke about for JT Thor. Have you, have you seen the full quote or have you just seen parts of it?
0: I didn't watch like the video of it to get the full quote, but I saw like the, you know, whatever the longest quote summary of that would have been uh, yeah. that any, that you or any other Hornets media member may have posted.
1: Um, He just absolutely loves JT Thor. Steve Clifford. This is, I mean, you can see the way with the conviction he was talking about him, talking about him battling through injuries knowing the scheme, uh, putting in the time, putting in the work effort, watching the film, um, just his like attitude and approach. He is, he is got an, he's got a new Marvin Williams, right? <laughs> you know, which was his guy previously in Charlotte. Um, and for me, like this was, of anyone he spoke about for the whole day, I feel like Steve Clifford really wanted to communicate that JT Thor was like, just had a fantastic approach this year. So I just think it's worth noting about. It wasn't just the run of the mill, like, yeah, JT Thor was good. He had a good year. It was a step beyond that. And he was playing hurt. Like he he said, you know, we need his toughness. We need guys who want to play, um, you know, no matter what, through injury, Um, which was, you know, uh, whether they should be playing through injury is another story. Maybe it's another question. But he clearly likes JT Thor's attitude. And I think he will be a, a big part of potentially the rotation next year, especially moving on from Jalen McDaniels. Um, so stock up for JT Thor, definitely.
0: Yeah, definitely going stock up for there. And it seems like this last stretch of the season here, we've talked for so long about like, oh, his three-point shot looks so good. It's so smooth. It's so comfortable. It, lo- it It Actually, we got to see the results of that in this it last did. month. Finally. Here. He, he shot really well over the last month of the year. He made a three in, I think it was, 14 straight games to end the season. Uh, obviously, that was a personal best uh, for JT himself. Uh, all of those pretty much were efficient shooting performances, except for one where he, or two games, he went one for six in the season finale, and then went one for five against OKC. Uh, other than that, like, all good performances. He was a strong, like, efficient scorer. Saw a little bit of the the off-the-dribble stuff that we got to see at Auburn that you and I have talked about a couple times this year, kind of being like, when are we going to get to see that again? Is it going to pop in the NBA the same way that it did at Auburn? It is a little bit now, and obviously the defense is light years ahead of where pretty much any other young player is on this offense. That's not – way ahead of any other young player on this offense that's not a center. So, I mean, he's definitely got the upper hand in terms of – Guys that are going to be able to crack into the rotation next year, assuming that some of the veterans return that are still here, like DSJ or Kelly Ubre, or and then Cody Martin comes back and whatnot. So, yeah, definitely stock, stock up. Uh, indeed,
1: absolutely. One one of the stories of the season, right? JT Thor. I mean, the fact that if you look at his overall numbers, they're still pretty awful, and the fact that you know he was the highlight of the season probably does you know expose some of the maybe weaknesses or lack of performance from maybe some of the other hornets young players like we have to be honest right uh, but you know if you look at this last month it is it is different um, and yeah we, we talk about not seeing the progress at times with some of the players. you can see so much progress with JT Thor from within the season and that like the light switch just it just flicked on at, like around January time February time, and before that, it didn't necessarily look like it was going to come this year, and it did. And, uh, you know, there is still hope out there. This happens over time and time again. You don't expect it. The, the light switch flicks on. And that could happen for, for Buck Knight. It can happen for Kai Jones. Um, we, we just have to hope it does, even though in every game, you know, and year that goes by, it does become less and less likely. Okay. Next up, Kelly Oubre. Um, And we can maybe tackle these last two. These probably are the last two, really, about free agency. Uh, Calibre talked to say my first two seasons here. I'm happy with them, but I'm not satisfied. I can just hope and pray uh, that everything falls together so we can keep this band together. Um, he talked about how he loves it here and he wants to be in Charlotte for the very first time. He did talk a little bit about, like, I'm someone without home. He mentioned he like he needs to be somewhere where they really want me to. Um, and he's you know, have to sit down and make a business decision, which is always like the classic quote of. Well, you've got to, you know, I'm not going anywhere if the money's not right. Basically, is what that business decision means. So, for the first, it was the first time that Kelly said anything other than "I want to be back here." Like he said at the trade deadline. This time, it was, a, well, I, you know, I am a free agent. I want to be somewhere that really wants me. I, do didn't think it's anything. I mean, this shouldn't surprise people. NBA players aren't just unrestricted free agents. Rarely show a level of loyalty and you know, they expose their hand, even if they do want, desperately want to be back here. You don't say that necessarily like undoubtedly because you want to get paid as much and you want to try and twist the arm of the team to resign you. So um, yeah, I, I didn't think it was huge news, but it was the first time that he kind of acknowledged that anything other than, yeah, I'm just desperate to be here.
0: Yeah. Which makes sense given the timing of it, you know, end of the season, in uh, a month or so he's officially an unrestricted free agent nothing is going to happen on the court for him between now and then that could change anyone's mind so it is what it is for for kelly in terms of what he's going to the negotiation table with this summer don't blame him at all for saying that that's what everyone says uh, but people tend to get not up in arms about it but react to it in some way so of
1: course and i will say mitch kupchak also added today that on Kelly Bray said he's got a bright future in the league. He's 27. He's an unrestricted free agent, so we don't have as much control. But for us, he was great in the locker room, great on the court. We'll just have to wait to see how it plays out. Um, so, you know, clearly Mitch Kupchak is speaking positively of Kelly there. Um, and I think, you know, he's a, he's a weird oddity of a player in like some ways, but I do think like he fit in Charlotte and his level of play before he got injured this year was with his support and cast around him was was pretty impressive. So um, I think the Miles Bridges situation is going to play massively into uh, the future of Ubre because Miles Bridges can play some small forward. Um, that is going to, I think, have an impact on the outcome of all of this. What impact? I have no idea. But I don't think it's a slam dunk that they bring him back, but I do think there is a good chance and there is mutual interest on both parties if the... If the kind of if the cookie crumbles in the right way. Okay, last one, uh, the one that maybe kind of probably got the most headlines, as it freaking always does. This type of stuff. Lamella Ball um, talked a little bit uh, about um, you know taking his taking his basically. He was asked about his future being in Charlotte. He said that he he likes it in Charlotte, but to quote, he'll play it day by day and you can never predict the future. Which I can understand if you don't watch the interviews a lot and if, you know, you don't hear him speak and if you didn't watch the video, you see that quote and go, oh, he wants out. But I don't think that's the case, but I'm curious to get your thoughts.
0: No, definitely not. I think that that, as you said, as these types of quotes tend to do, they got blown out of proportion. He's shown commitment to the organization uh, and just the city of Charlotte in general, like the fan base, at pretty much every turn. And he's doing that here, for one, just being like, I like it here, but you never know what happens. The The future is a long time. Like the future for yes. like, you know, somebody that's 21 and in the NBA, that's like 17 years I will not hold it against Lamelo if he does not wear a Charlotte Hornets uniform (laughs) every single year for the next 17 years. It's okay. Like, I don't care about that in 2023. Like, we care about the immediate future, and then we go from there. That's really all you can do. And the immediate future is all but certain that he's going to be here because a max extension, James, that's a lot of money nobody's going to turn that down nobody ever has nobody ever will unless they decide to make max contracts worth a million dollars per year and so.
1: the, the the only like no has ever done in history to down a max contract extension and for someone with lamelli balls injury history which is piling right up, exactly you think he's taken the qualifying offer if he breaks his ankle and his wrist next season again and all of a sudden people go, well, maybe we shouldn't be giving Lamelo the max. There is no chance. The way this works in the NBA, we have years of evidence. They sign the max rookie extension. After that, anything can happen. Like, absolutely anything. During that contract, anything can happen. But they sign it because it gives them guaranteed money, and then if the player wants out, they work out a trade later. And, like, if the team, after he signs that in three years from now, finish with the 27 wins again, I don't blame Lamelo for wanting out. Like it would probably be the right thing for the team as well. Cause having, you know, moving him for, for other assets or whatever, like he would be the best asset trade asset the team has had probably in like the history of the team. If you talk about like the youth of the player, like when Kemba Walker was signed, I don't think he would have the same value as like, even Lamelo will have as that max guy, just because of his age. So I mean, yeah, I agree with you on so many levels. We can't hold it against him for not saying, Yeah, I'm gonna be here for the next for the rest of my career. If you're holding him to that standard, he will let you down and prepare to be disappointed.
0: Right. That's exactly. That's all like that's the only answer for that. And like and I don't even think this is him doing it, but even for one like he is right to put some smidgen of pressure on the organization to surround him with talent in some way like he is an NBA all-star like he has the right to be like you know I really like it here I would love to be here for as long as I can but they this team has to be good for me to want to be here uh and they are right now I like it here right now but who's to say if that lasts again for the rest of my career like you, you just can't hold players to that standard nobody has is meeting that standard in today's sports climate uh and But right now, like, he seems to like it a lot. He's getting healthy. He's going to roll into his fourth season with an all-star appearance under his belt, a healthy summer, another year of averaging, you know, 20 and eight assists. And hopefully, you know, a, head into his prime with a chance to really help push this franchise into, like, playoff contention. But if that doesn't I'm... happen in three years, then we'll revisit this. But that's three yeah. years from now.
1: And yeah, there are headlines from ESPN, for various websites about Lamella Ball and his quotes. You know why? Because it's freaking Lamella Ball, and it gets clicks. Right.
0: Mixed. Egg? Yes. <laughs> that's
1: that's why people the people are picking up Kelly Oubre saying it's a business decision, Charlotte. It's because it's you know because of who he is, and whenever you have a young star player in a small market with a team that has not had success, there will be speculation on the future. It, it you could do a blind date of like you know. Team play, like it's look at happening to Luca in Dallas. Dallas have one down year, and all of a sudden, there's the report out there that oh, the Mavericks are worried about that Luca Doncic going to want out. It's happening with Dame in Portland when he's down. Oh, will Dame you know opt out? You know you have all that. It's going to happen because it's how the NBA media sphere works. They create this talking frenzy. It creates podcast topics, and it's also because a lot of fans want the mellow on their team that's the other reason yeah. so
0: the yeah. amount of like houston rockets or warriors or like minnesota timberwolves photoshops i saw of him yeah in the replies to these tweets like it was insane like how quit. like people already have these ready they're not making them because he said some exit interview quote on a monday in april like they have these ready already because Lamelo is a popular player that people want like yeah. all the time not just when he's like giving some sort of extremely light response like in an (laughs) exit
1: and so if you see that or say as a hornets fan just ignore the shit out of it
0: (laughs) it is it is a
1: bunch of media bs he is not going anywhere he is not demanding a trade he will be in charlotte for the foreseeable future just don't get caught up in the rigmarole of of it all and the other thing like the whole limelight ball says day to day or day by day in like every interview answer he gives when you like say what walked in today, you know, how did the game go today? He'd go, we just have to get better, watch film, take it day by day. Like he says that is just like a filling line to any media response. So by taking that, that he actually interpreted that he is taking it day by day for his future in Charlotte, that is you not knowing lamelle Ball and not understanding how he interviews and how he answers, which if you're parachuting in, I get, but again, we are here to reassure you Hornets fans like he is not actually taking it day by day. Uh, that is that is not the case. He's probably talking about his rehab and he's just using that as a filler for a way to answer a question. <sighs> I'm glad we finished on that one because that, felt, that was a the therapeutic one I've been wanting to get off my chest.
0: I know that, that felt good. I, I, I needed to do that as well. That was a nice way to put a, put a bow on the season here. And with all that has happened... LaBella is not leaving. And then like a nice big period right at the end of 2022,
1: 23. Yeah. I lied because I've just found two quick quotes, which I'm the one to touch on quickly. Mitch Kupchak quotes from today.
0: Everyone pretend I said that after. Yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) Sorry. I'm unwrapping the bow. uh, (laughs) We're going to do it back up in a minute. Um, Mitch Kupchak said today that the biggest thing LaBella needs to work on is getting stronger. It's the same thing he said last offseason as well. Talked about getting to the rim, scoring around the rim. Do you agree with that?
0: Not really. Like, I mean, it'd be nice. Uh, I don't think that's, like, the biggest thing necessarily. Uh, I think he uh, – more importantly than getting stronger, I think he could just get better at it. Like, you don't necessarily have to address a weakness with, like – a specific thing or like just because he's bad at finishing at the rim or inefficient at finishing. I wouldn't even say he's bad. He's just inefficient because he has really, really good touch and can contort his body really well and has great hand eye coordination for finishing like over and around people. He just can't really go through people yet or absorb contact and get like and ones draw a ton of free throws, whatnot. Uh, I don't think that that's going to come necessarily by him putting on a ton of muscle. I think more of it is just going to be him gaining like, veteran guile as a NBA guard and learning how to game the system basically in the way that like James Harden or Trey young or Joel Embiid or Giannis or anybody else that has a really high usage rate and has the ball a lot, uh, generates free throws and contact and finishes at the rim and stuff. It would be nice. I'm not going to say it's like a, he doesn't need to, he probably needs to get stronger a little bit. He also needs to get faster and uh, have quicker hands and be able to jump a little higher, like like what everybody else does. Like it's just athleticism is like an all-encompassing term. I don't think you need to ever really get better at just one thing. But I, I guess I get where Mitch is coming from, because on the surface, that seems like A yeah. might maybe the easiest thing to do, and B like what would solve the problem quicker, I guess.
1: Yeah. I I think his, his lack of rim scoring is is an issue, but I yes. don't know strength is the I don't know, like you said, yes, I don't know strength exactly. is the issue. I, I agree with you. I, it's not just, uh, I th- it's not like I see him getting bumped off his spot. It's that, it's like you say, the craft, the guile to like draw contact and to know what the defense is, is, is all that stuff, which for me is, uh, and I think at times he like second guesses himself when he's driving to the rim. And sometimes he changes hands in midair, which sometimes looks great. But sometimes like you didn't need to do that and you made it way harder than you needed to. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know if strength is the biggest thing. Um, and, and maybe Mitch, what he meant to say is like, I don't know, finishing around the rim rather than necessarily just like getting stronger because he could get stronger. And I, I don't know if that's solving his rim finishing issues, but like you say, it is, it is one thing, but I do disagree. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm on the same page there. He did also mention about him being, being more of a leader. And, you know, he said it's hard for a 21 year old or whatever to be a leader, but you know, just his demeanor it's well known that he's a much loved teammate which to be a good leader you need to be loved right you well michael jordan maybe wasn't <laughs> but most leaders need to be well liked and have the respect of their peers i think he has that um but when you like compare tyrese halliburton when you hear him speak and see how he interacts with teammates to lamello i i can see like lamello is Quite a uh, a young twenty year old is, is that is that fair to say or do you think I'm that's an unfair uh, observation there? Would you agree with that?
0: Um, I mean, I don't know. I think m- more of it has to do with just the un or like not you know out of the ordinary team environments that he's been in throughout his uh, life. We, like he, I agree. He's, that's, been, he's
1: a product of his environment. Yeah, I think that's contributed f- to his right. his to who he is now uh is, is yeah. kind of what i'm which i'm which i'm thinking of
0: yeah that and that's that's totally fair i like he's he's been the youngest player on his team so often like in, in mm, australia or lithuania like he's not going to be the leader of those teams like Tyrese yeah. halberton was in college and was the best player on his college team uh, and as a freshman was a part of like a really good college team that was like a starting big point guard champion. for
1: Team USA as well in the right. uh, FIBA exactly as well. yeah
0: Lomelo, yeah Lamelo's never played for Team USA or really even played like a whole bunch of like the same like high level AAU like EYBL stuff that a lot of these guys grew up playing uh and uh, you you're you're probably right to say that it's affected like the way that he you know may operate as like somebody that either want, I mean, and that's this is another thing he may not like want to be a team leader in that way which in my view is totally fine like some people uh may like have like a the you know a, a sports team is at their best when the best player is like the leader or something like that but i think you could look at a lot of teams in the nba and look at their best player and said, he's maybe not like their vocal or emotional leader in the locker room. He's their best player and he'll speak up or, you know, do whatever they need to do to keep things moving. But uh, you know, some other guys like uh, like in Denver, like I don't think Jokic is necessarily like their vocal leader all the time, like on and off the court. Uh, like somebody like KCP might fill that void or Aaron Gordon or something, or with Boston, it's definitely not Jason Tate. Marcus Smart is the leader of that team. Like, maybe in the future with the hornets it's like 30 year old Kelly Oubre is the leader of this team terry rozier is the leader of this team lamella ball is the by far the best player and the guy that makes everything go but another guy is the is the vocal leader
1: yeah and i will say the best point guards in the history of the league you know chris paul damian lillard jason Kidd, steve nash you know these guys were like the also the best player and you know, the leader Mm. of the team. Um, And I do agree it is something that it's, like you say, he's never been in a position where he's had to have any leadership responsibility. And even being a young player on the Hornets, he doesn't need to. But as he gets older and he's signing to the max extension, um, he like it would be better for the team and, you know, for his own value if he could try and emerge into that. And I don't think it's something that will necessarily be natural for him um but like to get the best version of what Lamello can be like you know the the top 99th percentile him becoming more of a leader is an area that uh, i do think he needs to improve on um let's not do my last quote basically steve clifford as mitch Kupchak said that he thought steve clifford did a great job this year um just Fair kind enough. Of like we we yeah. talked we touched on it a little bit earlier uh, he said you look at the wins and losses um you you don't look at it but if you speak to the players and look at everything that he did. It was He was good. So he basically got the vote of confidence from Mitch. Uh, let's let's leave it there because we just hit the hour mark. Um, this is the end of part one of our podcast. Um, hopefully you jump straight on to part two or give yourself a little bit of a break if you need it. Um, tune into part two. It's going to be a little bit more fun. We're going to be doing some end of season awards, um, which we touched on at the start of the show. Um, stay tuned and we'll see you in part two.